0: your health, where you learn how to put your health first. I'm your host, Morgan Sieves. Modern living doesn't make it easy to do the things we know are good for us. Eat fruits and veggies, get good quality sleep, drink enough water, stress less, exercise, etc. On this show, we uncover strategies that make it easier for you to take care of yourself. It will take effort, but I promise it's worth it. The decision is yours. I'm here to show you what's possible. Welcome to another episode of Prioritize Your Health. This week, we are talking everything sleep. So to get us started, uh, I'd like to go over what the four stages of sleep are, um, in case you aren't familiar with your nightly sleep cycles. So it's made up of four stages. So awake, which you probably are well aware of, and then light sleep, which is where you can kind of easily be woken up, and then deep sleep or slow wave sleep, And then the last one is REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep, which you've also probably heard of. So we're going to talk a little bit about what factors contribute to how much sleep your body needs, which is largely based on how much sleep you've gotten in the previous night and nights, plural, and then what you do during the day, among a few other factors. So a few terms I'd like to go over to start with um, is sleep debt. So this is the measure of how much sleep you get versus how much you need. So an example, if your body needs eight hours, but you only get six hours, then you would have two hours of sleep debt. And that'll come in um, to play here in a little bit. And then also taking naps during the day, which, uh, you know, I'll go into a little bit of detail here. Because sometimes if you take a nap during the day, that can affect your ability to fall asleep later that night. But that doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't nap at all. Uh, Of course, (laughs) this is if you have the ability to take a nap during your regular workday. So if you were short on sleep the night before, so if your sleep debt is pretty high, then a nap would allow you to catch up on that sleep debt and therefore kind of get back onto your regular sleep schedule, which we'll also talk about in a little bit. And I'd like to talk about two different kinds of naps that the science shows are generally the, um, for most people, now granted each person is going to be different, but these two different lengths of nap will sort of be the most optimal for the most amount of people. So the first one is a power nap of about 20 minutes, and that's generally shown to increase alertness and put you in a better mood. This is recommended if you're driving and are feeling drowsy. Uh, You know, sometimes drinking extra caffeine won't necessarily help you feel more alert. And so pulling over to the side of the road, taking a power nap, uh, that is generally what is recommended in that situation as well as if you're just feeling um, tired throughout the day. There are even some places where they have nap pods in the office. So if people are feeling like they're not being as productive, they can go take a 20 minute power nap. On the other hand, um, a 90-minute nap is about the length of a typical person's sleep full sleep cycle, and so that will let you spend time in each sleep stage that we mentioned before. So any time between that 20 and 90 minute, you might not get a full sleep cycle, and that might be why you wake up feeling even more tired or discombobulated than before. I know that certainly happens to me. So if you do have a lot of sleep debt from the night before or the nights leading up to today then a 90-minute nap might actually help you to feel rested and rejuvenated for the rest of the day. And then you can try and get back on track uh, in the evening. But again, this uh, the kind of optimal nap length definitely varies based on a whole sort of factors. And we're not going to get too much into that today. But in general for a good number of people, that 10 to 20 power nap, 10 to 20 minute power nap or the 90 minute full cycle um, is probably going to be a best good place to start. So another thing that affects how much sleep you'll need is what, uh, is commonly referred to as your daily strain. And I know you've probably heard me talk about my whoop band, um, and the whoop app before on the podcast. And this is one thing that I absolutely love about the whoop band is that it really does a good job capturing my strain for the day. Whereas some Fitbit trackers or fitness trackers will, let you track, you know, number of steps or calories, the whoop app actually calculates strain based on your heart rate. And so it's able to account for stress and whether you were recovered enough the night before, it might take you more effort to do normal things the next day. Whether you were running all around for me, say the hospital doing work or whether you were dealing with your kids and kind of turning them around and doing chores Whatever it is throughout the day, all of that is going to contribute, say, in comparison to if you were just kind of laying around on the couch all day. And so exercise certainly contributes to that daily strain, um, and it can actually help you to sleep better and even get to sleep faster and then sleep more soundly. So it's not necessarily that we don't want to have daily strain. Um, Sometimes daily strain can actually, the higher that it is, can actually help us to get better sleep because we're physically and mentally tired and ready for the rest. So the next thing uh, I'd like to talk about are sleep efficiency and sleep consistency. So efficiency is how much of the time you're in bed that you're actually sleeping. So you might go to bed at, say, 10 p.m. and wake up at 6 o'clock, but you're not necessarily asleep that entire amount of time. Uh, it might be that you're lying in bed on your phone or that you're just taking a while to get to sleep. But that sleep efficiency is really a measure of how much of the time that you're in bed is actually spent asleep so that includes whether you wake up a bunch during the night whether you realize it or not of course that's another thing about Whoop that i love is that i can tell you when you're waking up how much are you waking up throughout the night and it's actually normal to have you know a few times that you wake up and don't really realize it or maybe you do but when you're waking up say every 10 minutes that can really affect the uh, the quality of sleep that you're getting and then sleep consistency is really about your circadian rhythm. So, are uh, your going to bed times and your waking up times pretty much within the same 30 minute to 60 minute window every day? And I remember when I first learned about this, I was not a fan because I had to get up really early during the week and I wanted to make up for that and sleep in on the weekends. But that just made waking up early on Monday even harder. And so, I've really worked to create a consistent routine so that even on the weekends I'm going to bed maybe a little bit later and waking up a little bit later, but trying to keep it within an hour of consistency so that that actually helps me to fall asleep at a normal time. My body is ready. It is expecting that we're going to bed at a certain time. And that actually allows you to kind of feel tired around the same time each night. Uh, Your body really likes routine um, and it helps to anticipate when it's about to be bedtime. And this is where having a bedtime routine can really help both that efficiency and consistency. So not just kids need a bedtime routine. And I'll give you a few tips at the end of this podcast for how you can create a bedtime routine or at least start one um, and then kind of experiment from there. So just a few things uh, in case you are not already aware about why sleep is so important. Um, So here's a few things about why it's important to get enough sleep. Uh, It actually improves your cognitive functioning and impulse control. Uh, It contributes to a stronger immune system. People who get enough sleep have a better overall metabolic health, which if you've listened to my prior podcast, you know how important that is. And then um, beauty sleep is actually a real thing. Um, Getting enough sleep is actually good for your skin. So if you don't care about any of the other stuff going on inside, if you want to have healthy and pretty looking skin, um, then getting enough sleep is going to help you with that too. And then a few, a few stats, um, that were just kind of startling to me is that poor sleep health is actually a pretty common problem. Um, a quarter of us adults reported insufficient sleep or rest in 15 out of every 30 days. That's half the time. And that to me is crazy, especially with how many people are struggling with, uh, you know, staying with drowsy driving and staying focused throughout the day, not to mention all the other health effects. And something that I thought is kind of interesting is we think about, at least from the medical side of things, and if you have been a parent or are a parent or have uh, younger children in your life, you know that the sleep, number of hours of sleep that infants and children and then hopefully adolescents get is something that we focus on a a good bit because it's really important for their health and development. But sleep doesn't stop becoming important just because you turn 18 or just because you no longer have uh, a bedtime set by your parents. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, people who are sleeping uh, an adequate amount, they're um, usually are supporting their immune systems in a better way. So getting adequate sleep can help to fight off infection. Um, it helps you to perform well in your tasks the next day, which you might have already experienced with your own personal experience with this. And then working not only effectively, but safely. So that reaction time we talked about earlier and the impulse control is actually improved when you have enough sleep. And then, uh, as with many other things I've talked about on this podcast, uh, the chronic diseases that we uh, so commonly see, at least I do, in um, the primary care setting, uh, you know, heart disease, high blood pressure, obesity, diabetes, all of these things are worsened by having poor sleep and by having um, poor sleep quality and duration, and a stat that really kind of scared me is that about 100,000 motor vehicle crashes every year in the United States are related to drowsy driving. That is crazy to me. And I know I've I've been guilty of driving, driving kind of tired before, um, and it is, it is scary. Uh, so I have certainly been making an effort in the last several years to put my sleep first. And then... As I'm talking about illness and chronic disease, so these are things that may hinder your ability to get good sleep and to sleep throughout the night. Whether it's chronic disease, like chronic pain, or whether it's an acute illness or injury, these things can certainly affect how well you're able to get to sleep and stay asleep. And then there are other issues, such as sleep problems like sleep apnea, Uh, circadian rhythm disorders. So um, you might know someone who it doesn't matter what day of the week it is, they cannot wake up before 1 p.m. And their ideal time is to go to bed at 2 a.m., wake up at 10 a.m. Uh, And that might not just be a quirk, that might actually just be how their circadian rhythm is set. Um, And then I certainly guess that you know someone who has suffered with insomnia at some point. So all of these things really contribute to your sleep health. And I did just want to mention quickly that um, pregnancy impacts a whole host of um, the systems in your body, of course, including sleep. But I'm not going to talk too much about that today other than, you know, generally uh, women who are pregnant uh, need more sleep, um, but they, of course, are uh, not always able to get that amount of sleep, whether due to comfort or leg cramps, et cetera. Um, but just to, didn't want to move through sleep without mentioning that. So the last thing in terms of the kind of risks of not getting enough sleep or the problems with uh, having unhealthy sleep is the sleep disordered breathing, um, which includes things like sleep apnea, uh, which you might have heard of, or maybe you yourself have. And if you haven't heard of sleep apnea or sleep disordered breathing, that's um, typically characterized by um, kind of these intermittent airway obstructions or pauses in breathing. So maybe you've seen either a family member or a friend that's taking a nap or falling asleep at night and they seem to like stop breathing for moments. That's what we're talking about. And it's kind of scary because people who have this that are not treated have two to four times the risk of heart attack and stroke. And generally, uh, people with sleep disordered breathing um, have had a risk factor such as obesity um, because that's a pretty significant risk factor. And so, weight loss um, for people who have sleep disordered breathing is generally um, seen to decrease the severity of that sleep disordered breathing. And this might actually affect 20 to 40% of older adults. Um, and so, that's a lot of people that could have that two to three, um, two to four increased risk of stroke and heart attack. So, definitely something to be on the lookout for. So now on to the good side of things, the positives, how do we create a good sleep routine, a good sleep hygiene? So I'm going to go through a few things that are generally accepted to be, uh, things that would help you with your sleep hygiene, um, So I'd like you to just take a listen to some of the things I suggest, see what you might be able to incorporate into your own routine, and maybe try out a few things. I don't recommend kind of taking a huge change right away. Maybe just try one thing at a time and then go from there. So as we mentioned earlier, consistency is really important. So having a bedtime is not just for children. It is really great to set an alarm, maybe half an hour, an hour before your ideal going to bedtime so that you have time to kind of wind down and do some of these other activities to help you prepare for your sleeping time. That includes both weeknights and weekends. Also, make sure your bedroom is quiet, dark, and cool. So I'm going to go through each of those. So quiet. That can be hard depending on who else lives in your house, where you live. So earplugs are an option. I personally don't like those. I am obsessed with my white noise machine because when I'm traveling, no matter what's going on outside of me, if I'm on night shift, I can put my noisemaker on and that is all I hear. It doesn't matter what's going on. And the rest of it. it is a very consistent environment for me. Uh, blackout curtains are also really helpful, or if that's not an option for you, there are some great, um, blackout eye masks. And if you're like me and can't stand the feel of something actually on your eyelid, they make some eye masks that kind of have a little sphere poking out, um, almost like space for your um, eyeballs to actually go. Um, so those can be helpful. I used those in college, uh, when it was not really possible to control when my roommate came in and turned the lights on and then cool. So again, as much control as you have over this, but I really enjoy having a weighted blanket and a comforter over me, um, but having the room itself be pretty cold. And I've actually seen some recommendations that somewhere between 60 and 67 degrees Fahrenheit is the recommended. Um, I certainly don't put my thermostat down that low because that would cost an arm and a normal leg, but I try and get it you know, as close to the top range as possible. And then making sure you're comfortable. So if you have pajamas or sheets or a bed that aren't comfortable, it's probably worth the investment to make sure you have something that's going to allow you to get the best sleep possible. Then about electronics. So this one's hard for a lot of people, but removing all of your electronics, if possible, from your room, or at least moving them to kind of the corner of the room so they're not in sight, they're not tempting for you to reach to. So TVs, computers, your smartphone, anything with a screen or a light, get it out of the room. And this actually doubles in its purpose, because if your alarm is on your phone and it's across the room, you're going to have to get out of bed in the morning to go turn it off, which will help you prevent uh, pressing snooze plenty of times. And then uh, more sort of the behaviors before bedtime, you might have heard of some of these before but avoiding large meals or caffeine or alcohol before bedtime. And I usually try and finish all of my eating about three hours before I go to sleep because that allows your body time to focus its energy on digesting so that then when you sleep, it can focus all of its energy on all of the functions that happen while you sleep, which uh, even though we think of sleep as resting, our bodies are actually hard at work doing a lot of things that they can't do if they're focused on digesting food. And caffeine, hopefully, is a little bit self-explanatory, but uh, if you listen back to my Avoiding Toxins podcast, you can hear kind of how long caffeine sticks around in your body, and it depends on how sensitive you are to it. Um, But generally, avoiding caffeine after noon is a good idea, but for me, I personally have to avoid it after like 10 a.m. because I go to bed so early. And alcohol, while it is a... um, Nervous system depressant, you might feel sleepy after drinking alcohol. It actually really impacts the quality of your sleep. And you might have noticed this if you've had maybe a glass or two of wine and you go to bed and you feel sleepy at first, but then after about four hours, you realize that you're not sleeping very well. And so if you are going to consume alcohol, trying to do it earlier in the evening so that doesn't affect your um, sleep quality quite as much. And also getting exercise during the day. But I specify during the day because some people uh, getting having a strenuous exercise um, about close to bedtime can actually be harder to fall asleep. For me, I exercise in the morning because it helps to wake me up. But I also remember as I was growing up through grade school when I would have competition dance rehearsals until nine or 10 o'clock at night. Um, Thankfully, I was just exhausted enough to fall asleep, but it certainly did wake me up to be that active late at night. So uh, just being strategic with when you put your physical activity, but making sure you do move your body so that your body is physically ready to rest once you get to bedtime. And just a few other tips here um, as we're thinking about making a bedtime routine. So the first thing is to have a routine, um, to have something you do every night that is kind of your body's way of recognizing, okay, we're about to go into sleep time, we're calming down, uh, and try different things. So I have changed my bedtime routine over the years, depending on kind of what I am more in need of. And so here are some things just for suggestions. I really like wearing blue blocking glasses. Um, the about three hours before bed at least. Um, that doesn't always happen, usually doesn't happen, but I try and as soon as I get home from work, try and take out my contacts, put on my blue light blocking glasses, because blue light is emitted from our uh not only just regular um lights in the house, but also from screens especially, and it actually delays the release of melatonin, which is the hormone that helps to induce sleep naturally. And so if you are staring at your phone right before bed or working late, then that is going to inhibit or delay the release of that melatonin. And so I personally really enjoy wearing blue blocking glasses. Uh, Also taking some time to just kind of decompress from the day. For me, that's usually either reading or journaling or talking to a friend or my spouse about kind of what happened during the day. Also kind of planning for the next day so that I'm not lying in bed making a to-do list in my brain and even if i do happen to do that i try and keep a um, notepad and pen beside my bed so that i can jot things down and at least get them out of my mind it can also be helpful to do some just gentle stretching or yoga or deep breathing or meditation something that allows you to create physical distance and space from what was going on in your day to your time to rest and relax and you can it doesn't have to be anything intense can just be very gentle just kind of getting your body ready for stillness as you go to bed. Another thing that I discovered um, several months ago is that taking a warm bath or shower right before bed actually allows your body temperature to drop more easily, which is part of the natural process of falling asleep, which is super cool. I always wondered why I seem to fall asleep so fast when I showered before bed, and I think that's why. You can also drink herbal teas. Um, I prefer chamomile because it's very easily accessible. Sometimes they even put lavender in it. Um, It's not like uh, some of the sleep medications where it's going to make you sleepy right away, but it is just one more thing you can add to your routine. Again, just anything to help your body recognize, okay, it's time to go to bed. This is what we're doing now. I also recommend setting your alarm and doing anything you need to on your phone before you start your bedtime routine so that you're not... Then distracted after your routine, and then you kind of throw off your whole your whole rhythm. And another piece of advice that I, I really like and um, is to get up if you can't sleep. So if you're lying in bed and staring at the ceiling, staring at the clock, which hopefully you've removed the clock from your room so you aren't staring at it and the light isn't bothering you, but instead of just laying there stressing about it, get up, go do something you find relaxing, and then wait until you feel sleepy again and go back to bed. And while in the short term, this might be frustrating because you get less sleep than you'd like, eventually your body will start to realize that when you're lying in bed, it's time for sleep. And that's another thing, trying to avoid doing work or anything that's not part of your your bedtime routine or sleeping um, when you're getting ready for bed because when your body associates the bedroom with going to sleep, it's much easier for you to kind of get into that uh, rhythm. So the last two things I will leave you with is two things you can do while you're in bed trying to fall asleep. If you are not a, one of the lucky humans that can fall asleep as soon as your head hits the pillow. So the first one is called the four, seven, eight method. And it's a breathing technique where you breathe in through your nose for four counts. You hold it for seven counts and then exhale out through your mouth for eight counts, making kind of a whooshing sound. So you can do this about four times. And for me, sometimes, depending on the day, the four, seven, eight is actually pretty challenging. So I also do a three, four, five, two, three, five. Just the point is to exhale longer than you inhale. That signals to your body that it's time to relax and will help you to prepare for sleep. The next and last technique is to do progressive muscle relaxation. So if you've ever done a guided meditation before with this technique, it can be really great, uh, but you don't necessarily have to have someone guiding you through it. I prefer to start at the top of my head, but you can also start down at your feet. And essentially the idea is just to clench up your muscles in one section of your body, head, shoulders, torso, hips, legs, feet, and, or you can do it all together. The idea is to clench and scrunch up and contract every muscle that you can and hold it for a count of maybe four or five and then release and take a big exhale. And then you'll do that as you move through your body, maybe do it a few times and that will just help your body to realize, okay, it's time for sleep. It's time for relaxation. So those are my tips for you today. I hope that you've learned something about sleep. And if you are interested in really taking an objective look at your sleep, I highly recommend you take a look at the WHOOP app, the WHOOP Band. I have absolutely loved it. I've been using it for about two and a half years now, and it has significantly increased the quality and quantity of my sleep because I'm able to see real time what is affecting my sleep. There's a journal with it, so it allows you to document what you did the night before, the day before, And then it'll show you at the end of the month, statistically, which things are significantly either affecting you in a positive way or a negative way or not having any effect at all. So you can really change your behaviors moving forward to optimize your sleep. So you can learn more about that in the show notes. And until next time, have a wonderful day. And I hope that you found one thing here you can start to implement in your life right away. another episode of prioritize your health as always i hope you found one simple nugget of information that you can use right away all resources links and sources from today's episode can be found in the show notes if you enjoyed this episode please share it with someone you care about if you haven't already take 30 seconds to hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review so we can keep bringing you the best tips to put your help first Connect with me online at Morgan MorganSeeds on Instagram and through my website, whitecoatwildflower.com. Until next time, keep living your best life. As a reminder, the opinions expressed here are my own and do not represent the views or opinions of my employer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and not to be used as medical advice to treat any medical condition, any of yourself or others. Consult your own family physician for any medical issues that you may be having.